Hello everyone, Callie Hannah here with a quick disclaimer from the future, 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 future. <laughs> the episode you are about to hear was recorded prior to my public coming out as a transgender woman. As such, you will hear myself and others refer to me by my dead name and he, him pronouns, and that is not how I want to be referred to now. I, well, I go by Callie and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, the rest of the episode has been left as is for the purposes of historical preservation, but uh, just know that it is not accurate to my current uh, gender identity. Thank you, and enjoy the show. The hipster and the nerd. Yes, hipster and the nerd. The nerd. One went to the genius. The other is quite absurd. Exactly which is which. Off the fence is which. Yes, good sir. The hipster and the nerd. 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 Hipster and the nerd. Created by Steven Spielberg? No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hipster and the Nerd, the podcast where we discuss movies, TV shows, comic books, video games, and all manner of geek and pop culture to see what we can make of it. I am Chris Hanna. With me, of course, is my co-host, Brian Brecker. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing pretty good. I'm being held hostage by Starcock, leader of the Proto-Humans, and if you don't know what's happened in the last, like, I don't know, 14 or 15 episodes, I'll just yeah. explain to you real quick. I got abducted by aliens that turned out to be demons, which are actually from a different dimension. A dimension called Hell, or what we think of as Hell. They created immortal souls, which are in all of you, and then they process them for a resource once you die, and they go to their dimension. But anyway, I've been abducted by the leader of the Proto-Humans named Starcock. He's a real mean dude. <laughs> Honestly, like, he's got, like, this Cat with nine heads that's constantly biting at me. But anyway, I'm being stuck welcome in back a to cell Rocket Ship right Roulette. By the way, I know it's been a very right, long exactly. time since we've done this segment. <laughs> yes, and and it's where basically we are given movies at random to uh, be viewed, but it also uh, is about the grand space opera that is occurring uh, around me. The right deepest now. lore. The deepest lore, exactly. And the Flepians, as you remember, are anteater creatures. And um, they are at war right now with the proto-humans who want to destroy the Eldritch Wall. And I don't know what the fuck that means. Like, I'm not a nerd, all right? I read the Galactic Encyclopedia, but I didn't read all of it. Um, <laughs> some of it was redacted, honestly. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. But, yeah, every, every like, ten minutes they come in here and they, and they yell at me in, in their alien language. And then they have, like, a... a this this weird little worm creature that translates it for me. And I, I'm just confused right now, honestly. But today we're talking about two movies. Uh, Battle Royale and Starship Troopers, and if you're wondering why uh, I'm having to watch movies while being abducted in space, it's because I'm part of some kind of weird, bizarre alien experiment by the Flepians, and they implanted a chip in my brain, so even when there's no television, I can still watch the movies, and they can process both of our uh, of our reactions, and so they can learn about the pain that happens when you are forced to watch random movies. Uh, but today we're talking about two movies, Battle Royale and St Starship Troopers. So, Chris, what movie do you want to talk about first? Well, let's start with Starship Troopers. It's first in my notes. So, this is a, this is a film directed by Paul Verhoeven, who many of you maybe know as the guy who directed RoboCop, one of the best uh, movies of the 80s. And Showgirls. And also Showgirls. I wanted to... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like RoboCop uh... would be more relevant, but... It's, it's okay. <laughs> 
Well, uh, it's based off of the book by Robert A. Heinlein. And it's very uh, and... different from the book because the book right. is trash. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Robert A. Heinlein, though he was, like, super conservative and put, like, weird conservative military shit into all his sci-fi books, he was actually more progressive than some people give him credit for. Really? For instance, he was uh, against segregation okay. and for racial equality. Uh, but Paul Verhoeven didn't give a shit because he read two chapters of the book and, quote, got bored. Uh, <laughs> so he forced That's his amazing. script editor to tell him the rest of the plot. And then he basically did a top-to-bottom reworking of the entire story to turn it into in-universe fascist propaganda yes. uh, that satirizes mil military right-wing war-making and the concept of uh, space cadets and space marines as, as a noble thing. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Starship Troopers is a great movie. Yeah, it's I think really it's good. Really great. What do you think of Starship Troopers? I think it's a Chris? I think it's a really good movie. I, I quite enjoyed it. It's got a it's got a couple issues, but overall, very much uh, very, very much good. Much wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the uh, the the exact quote was: "I stopped reading after two chapters because it was so boring. <laughs> it is really quite a bad book. It's quite." I a... asked. Add Newmeyer to tell me the story because I just couldn't read the thing. It's a very right-wing book. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, uh, what's really great about this movie, I think, is that uh, on the surface, it is like your average sp space, you know, military movie about you know killing like the you, bugs like you and could, stuff like, like that. Like you could change a couple names around, and this could basically be a Halo movie. Right. Exactly. Like, um, but on uh, like. It continues to, like, cut back to, like, things that are just obviously satirical. The main characters are all cast from, like, 90210. <laughs> yeah, they all look like they're from, a. Uh... No, a lot of them were literally from 90210. Wait, really? <laughs> yes. I and did not know they that. must have been cast as, like, a joke because they wanted somebody with, like, a glassy stare that, like, didn't give off any kind of humanity and look completely fake. Yeah, like, because... if, if, if you made a version of this today, they would all be, like, Riverdale actors. Like Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, is that the movie, um, the things that are wrong with it are actually the things it's doing intentionally, you know? Like, yes. if you were to take this, like, 100% literally, like, so people did at the time, you would conclude that it's, like, a right-wing movie, but you'd be it's, stupid. Yeah, it's, because that's not what it is. <laughs> And also, yeah. you clearly haven't seen Paul Verhoeven's other work. <laughs> exactly, right. Um, and it starts off with this great scene. It's like this little, uh, like, newsreel, which really sets the tone, where it's everybody's saying, I'm doing my part, yeah. and then this little child yeah, the, soldier the comes out. Yeah, the little child's like, I'm doing my part, too! And then everybody laughs. And then everyone laughs! And it's so fucked up! Yeah, it immediately sets the tone. Um, now, I had to explain this to you afterwards. Yeah, because... But I, basically, the way I interpret this movie is it is in-universe propaganda film. Yeah, I mean, like... I, it's obviously... It's very obviously satire. Mm -hmm. But what I... I, I was confused because I took the stuff at the very beginning and the very end to just be over-the-top recruitment ads as bookends and not framing devices for in-universe propaganda, which sort of goes into... My issue with the movie is that at times it feels like it plays itself a little too straight. Like, 
Well, honestly, I feel like the beginning and end are heavily satirical. The, yeah, the beginning and end are heavily satirical. It's and more then the, the middle, middle is kind of like, eh, it's, it's more, more of like a normal sci-fi yeah. action and film. And that's sort of, and that's sort of where the issue comes in is that it plays itself a little too straight. And this, I think, it's part of why people didn't really get it at the time. Right, but I feel like most people understand it now, and yeah. it's a lot more appreciated now. Yeah. Um, so basically, it, what the plot is, is in the 23rd century, while colonizing new planets, humans have encountered a hostile, non-technological insectoid species known as the arachnids, but commonly referred to as bugs. Yeah, the bugs, and they're being attacked and the by bugs, bug meteors. And the bugs appear to be little more than savage, unrelenting killing machines, which again would make sense if this were a propaganda film trying to dehumanize the aliens. Right. And though there are suggestions that they were provoked by the intrusion of humans into their habitats, and that's part of the satirical element, is that like they kind of gloss over the fact that they were like trying to set up a colony on this planet, <laughs> and they were basically an invasive species. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um,. It's sort of like, you know, I watched the Red Letter Media uh, review, so I'm sorry to rip this off, but it is kind of the anti-Star Trek. <laughs> Instead of going out into space for, you know, like hope, optimism, and understanding other creatures and mutual gain, they go out purely just to make war oh, and so to it's, kill uh, things. So it's Mirror Universe, Star Trek. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so... In the United Citizen Federation, United uh, citizenship is earned by performing tasks such as military service, which yeah. grants individuals opportunities prohibited to basic civilians. Like the right to vote. <laughs> exactly. And this is basically like any one-party state. Like, if you're a member of the party, that's like a higher class that you're in. Yeah, because basically, because in this future, apparently, democracy failed. Yes. Um, and well, now, that's that's in the that's in the opening scene. Yeah, in the opening where scene, we're introduced yeah. to all the characters, and it's in the classroom with the guy with one arm. Yeah, yes, the guy with the one arm. And, and he's like, "Today we're learning about the the failure of the democracy failure and of how democracy. social studies ruined the country. And how social, yeah, socialism ruined the country. Not socialism, social studies. Oh, social studies. Yeah, it was specifically yeah. social studies. I think that I think they talk. I think they. I think they talk about socialism later. Right. Right. And, uh, and basically, he gives this beautifully satirical speech about, like, how violence is the only way yeah. to solve all of your problems. And, and the one and the one woman, and the one female student in the class, like, you know, my, mom, my mom told me violence is never the answer. Well, your mom was stupid. <laughs> your mom was wrong. Your mom was wrong. That, that is the worst kind of optimistic thinking, <laughs> yeah. he says. Um, and not only that, but he also goes on, he's like, um, violence has been the cause of all of, basically, violence is the, is the basis of all authority. Yeah, violence, <laughs> it's the only way is, that we can work anything out. Violence is the only option. I also, I, I love this line of, it's something along the lines of, I doubt anyone here would recognize civic virtue if it bit you in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then our main character is asked, our main character, who, by the way, is, is incredibly hateable johnny rico rico uh, yeah <laughs> uh, rico is the most blandest square chin clean shut clean cut action hero and, and that's I, like intentional yeah, that's deliberate he's a he's a ken doll exactly <laughs> yeah. and and rico is asked do you believe um that that all this bullshit about like violence is the cause of all authority and is the basis of all legitimate authority. And he's like, I don't know. But then his arc over this movie is incredibly dark because yeah. it is exactly the opposite of what a non in universe satire yeah, like, would be. If they, if they, if like, if, if this was more framed like uh, Paul Verhoeven's uh, other most famous work, Robocop, which I, I think is a better movie 
overall. Honestly, I'd agree, but yeah. uh, that's neither here nor yeah, there. Yeah, that's neither here nor there. They're kind of going for two different things. But, but, you know, in RoboCop, the main character discovers the system is broken, you know? Yeah, so, like, I feel yeah. like if they were to frame it, because I feel like part of the issue with this, with, that I have, bleh, I'm sorry. Part of my issue with how I connected to this film is apart from just not understanding initially that it was that the whole movie is in universe propaganda is the idea that and part of that issue is the movie playing itself too straight like we talked about earlier. And right, part of right. what I felt would have made that work better is if we had a character who slowly realized, oh, wait, this is bad, actually. But well, that's that the thing is that since that it's in really universe propaganda, yeah, that doesn't make sense. With the, the arc is in is propaganda. the exact opposite. Yeah, <laughs> every single time Johnny Rico uh, is given a task to conform, he immediately jumps at it. Yeah. you know, <laughs> yes, like he he's does. like, ah, oh, I'm gonna become a military super soldier, and I'm gonna not give a shit about anything that's not what my immediate superiors tell me to do, and that's his arc. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Like, his arc is to become a pawn to the system. <laughs> exactly, and to become, like, happy about it also. Yes! It's, it's like, it, it, it's, it's like 1984, but, like, without the, without the, the government's obvious... perspective. Yes! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, his girlfriend, Carmen Ibanez, and a psychic best friend, Carl Jenkins, enlist in the Federal Service. Oh, by the way, psychics exist in this universe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it reminds me a bit of the Psycore in Babylon 5. But, uh, yeah, um, so there's this hilarious line when they're all walking outside, and they're obviously also, like, too old to oh, be yeah. in high school. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the... Which I thought was originally satirical, but then I looked into the production history, and it turns out that, uh, Paul Verhoeven wanted to, like, actually cast, like, teenagers, but then, uh, the studio thought that'd be too dark. So, well, that's, that's also, actually Well, that's happened. also the problem with Hollywood, where, to, for, where for a very long time, 30-year-olds, and, and even sometimes still now... People in their fucking 30s were cast as teenagers, and we were all expected to believe it. Right, right. And then, and then we had this other great satirical moment um, when, when they're, they're all, like, outside, and they're like, we're all going to be friends. We're going to be friends, you know? And it's, like, such a, it's such a bullshit, yeah. <laughs> like, this is coming from a 90s sitcom moment. Yeah, and, but it, it turns into full house. Right, and, and then Carmen, um, what happens is... Uh, Rico's parents are disapproving of military service because they want him to go to Harvard. Yeah. And uh, man, Carmen how dare becomes... he want to be? <laughs> man, how, how man, how dare his parents want him to succeed in life and be and not and... become a pawn of the system <laughs> and become where into... he'll be <laughs> and become an intellectual. <laughs> yeah. and that's also what's hilarious is that throughout the film, the people that are his immediate superiors keep dying. Yeah. And he keeps getting promoted, but he never has the thought of wait. Is if this, I maybe, die, maybe this is. I'm a, completely replaceable too. Maybe this is a bad thing. <laughs> right. Um. So Carmen becomes a spaceship pilot while Carl joins the military intelligence, and Carl becomes like a like a, a literal fascist. Oh yeah. Like the next time we see Carl, Carl, he's dressed like a shootshaffer. Because Carl member, is the like uh, an SS dude. Yeah. Because Carl is the Neil Patrick Harris character, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We should also mention Neil Patrick Harris is in this, by the way. And he's great. He's, he's fantastic. He's wonderful. Baby, baby Neil Patrick Harris. He's so good. <laughs> yeah. I could just imagine Paul Verhoeven like talking to these actors and being like, no, 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 say it more awkward and and square. Okay. Like it's it's kind say of it with less personality. It's supposed to be bad. Right, their acting is intentionally wooden. Yes, and I think it's really funny. Um, 
And so Rico enlists in the mobile infantry and is surprised to find his friend Isabel Dizzy Flores, his former classmate, yeah. who he has romantic who has romantic feelings for him. Uh, because you know they had like a, a dance and yeah, then they, like a it's kind of a love square thing. going on. Oh, oh yeah, love square because it's like because it's Rico, uh, Flores. Rico likes Flores and Rico likes Ibanez. <laughs> And Ibanez the other guy. The other guy, Xander, Xander, Xander Barcolo. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's very um, complicated. Exactly. Um, I'd so, also like to point out that the Federation's uh, Pledge of Allegiance is actually even more creepy than our Pledge of Allegiance when you start to think about it. Because our Pledge of Allegiance is already kind of when you start to think about it, but this one is literally yeah. them giving up their own free will. <laughs> like, right. They're like, I will not think about my orders. Yeah, I will just follow them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she is transferred to be with him. And then in the mobile infantry basic training, which I think these scenes are very funny, yeah. uh, career sergeant Zim ruthlessly trains the recruits. Oh, There's yeah, one the, scene. We're good, the drill sergeant. <laughs> the drill sergeant, like, throws a knife at the guy's hand because the guy's like, what do we need knives for? We're not going to kill any bug with a knife. And then he, he like... S- throws the knife in his hand. <laughs> Pain is in your mind! Pain is in your mind! He breaks the other guy's arm. <laughs> Bring him to medic! You can't medic. push it. You can't push a button if you disable your enemy's hand with a knife! Uh, st- Starship Troopers drinking game. Take a shot every time that someone yells, get a medic. Get a medic? You will die! <laughs> so, Rico befriends fellow cadet Ace Levy, who's like, kind of this dorky blonde dude who he immediately he, he found out about him because he got into a fight with him the lunch line there's like this right. weird masculine aggressive tone to the whole movie it's almost which which, is, which i think is intentional is intentional you know the the military you know bros can, can military bros it can breed toxic masculinity oh by the way this um, gets us into the unisex shower scene oh yes which which by the way not only is that just funny but um what's really funny about it is that the actors basically said that they would only do it if paul verhoeven was also naked and he was he was so so fun facts i'd also like to point out that the food in the cafeteria looks disgusting yeah like it's just literal mush and slop it's like Like, slop like worse than high school cafeteria food yeah i know that's hard to imagine for for a lot of people but it, it really is. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. So um, he subsequently receives a Dear John letter from Carmen as she desires a career with the fleet. Yeah. Because, you know, she wants to be a pilot and serves under Rico's high school sports rival, Xander Barkalo. Oh, we forgot to talk about the football. Scene. Yeah, oh, yeah, the football. I, I couldn't, <laughs> I honestly couldn't tell if it was football if, or if it was some random future sport that was like well it's indoor football arena football already exists indoor football there's an indoor football league i was not aware of that because it sort of looked like a combination between like football and hockey like yeah so it's indoor football which tends to be more high scoring than regular football Ah. but he's doing like all these crazy flips and completely unrealistic bullshit yeah he turns into fucking spider-man for a bit (laughs) it's so funny um and uh Basically, what happens is, uh, following a live fire training, uh, Rico is getting. She gets involved with this other person. He's like, "My helmet's stuck. My helmet's stuck." And he's like, "All right, let oh, me let yeah, me take it off of you." And the guy gets shot in the head. And he's like, "No, get a medic!" Get a medic. 
It's like, dude, the top of his head is blown off. Uh, the medic's not gonna, gonna help him. But doesn't he? But doesn't he end up living anyway? No, no, he's 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 dead. Oh yeah, dead. oh yeah, he's dead. It's the other. Yeah, I'm thinking of it's I'm the other guy. I know they're all replaceable. So they're... following a live tri live fire training incident. Uh, Rico has to, he gets like 10 whips in the back. Oh yeah, because he gets, he gets chained up. Uh, yeah, and he gets whipped as an administrative punishment. Yeah, and then he, get, and then he gets whipped 10 times and I, f and it feels like it's someone's fetish. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and I, I forgot to mention also Dean Norris is in this from Breaking Bad. Oh yeah! Hank Schrader, and he looks exactly the same. <laughs> he did not age. Like, he just, he looks the same, only with more wrinkles. And he was in Paul Verhoeven's other film, Total Recall, as oh. one of the mutants, by the way. Um, so after that accident, he's like, I don't know if I want to go on with this, you know. I, I don't know Although, if I can do honestly, this. Honestly, so... the most, the most depressing, yeah, because he calls his parents. And honestly, the right. most depressing thing about this particular dystopian future is that according to that video call he has with his parents, AT&T still exists in the 23rd century. Exactly. God yeah. fucking damn it! <laughs> well, I mean, they bought Warner Brothers. Yeah, and then they sold them to Discovery. <laughs> exactly. So he resigns and calls his parents to ask if if they'll take him home. They're like, yeah, sure. And they're like, what's that in the sky? And then a and then giant of, asteroid hits Buenos Aires and, and all destroys them all. Buenos Aires gets destroyed. <laughs> so, so and that's now, the point where Rico's like, actually, I want to keep being in the in the military. In the right, so he goes to his immediate superior and he's like, I want to re-enlist. And they're like, mm, is this your rejection letter? He's like, Yes, sir. And they just like rip it out. They're like, "All right, welcome back." Yeah. So an invasion force is deployed to Clendathu, the home of the bugs. The only good um, bug is a dead bug. Dead bug. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's this scene where they like, where it's like, where it's like, because they have this whole propaganda ad of yes. all, of everybody wanting to like kill the bugs, and even a bunch of there's a bunch of kids where they just and have they're, like a regular, stomping on actual bugs. Yeah, it's a regular cockroach, and they just start <laughs> stomping on it. My favorite one of those cutaway gags is um, uh, a murderer was found guilty today and he has been sentenced <laughs> to the worst penalty, death, yeah. execution at 6 p.m. <laughs> Watch on TV. Watch on TV. <laughs> Which is like, Jesus. Jesus fucking Christ. I love that. That's yeah. hilarious. Um, yeah, so they, they go in and they like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're totally yeah. gonna uh, kill them. I'm from they... Buenos Aires and I say kill them all. <laughs> And then they all immediately get murdered. Yeah, because they, yeah, because they all get murdered. And they completely underestimated you them. You'll kill anything you know, that has more than two legs. All the people with two legs die. Because they've all been fed like propaganda, and none of them, and none of you them know, have been given proper training. Well, okay, well they do. They they do give them some training on how to fight the because bugs. they because there's the thing of like you have to aim for an arachnid's nerve stem. Right, but yeah. also they deliberately underplay how strong they are <laughs> because they are incredibly strong. Yeah, so like, Rico is severely wounded. Going up against wounded. one of these things is not. It, it, it's like it's. You only, need at least three people to kill one. It's of them. only slightly less intense than going up against like a fucking xenomorph or something. Like right, it's it, it, it's not an easy fight. <laughs> like, so Rico is severely wounded in this attack and is mistakenly reported as killed in action. And, yeah, um, but it, it turns out uh, he, he he's not he, dead. He's actually alive, he's, he's and he's just, in a tank, he's, like he's just, uh, Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back. Or Marcy. Yeah, so, but sorry Ka to the Carmen Evania yeah. <laughs> heard that he was killed in action and believes it. So she's like, oh no, my boyfriend's dead. Time to start dating Xander. Start dating Xander. <laughs> right. 
Um, after recovering, he, Ace, and Dizzy are reassigned to the Roughnecks, an elite unit commanded yes. by Lieutenant Gene Racksack, Rico's former high school teacher. Um, and this guy is just hilarious. <laughs> he's great. Because is like, he the like guy... At one point, is, is he the guy who point, comes into like, the tent during the, the sex scene? Yeah, yeah, yes. and he's like, 10 minutes. And then he's like, mm, 20 minutes. 20, make it 20 minutes. <laughs> and they're like, can we do it in that time? And I was like, yeah. Sure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> my favorite line by him is when he uh, when he kills one of the pre- person that's dying, and he's like, I expect any of you to do the same for me. Yeah. I also, I, I love the one guy, I think it's before the sex scene, but I love one of the soldier guys complimenting Rico. He just says, you kill bugs good. <laughs> you kill bugs good. Yeah, so um, have fun. Um, that's an order. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah, have fun. That's an order. And I forgot to mention, uh, one of their friends, I think it's Ace, uh, constantly plays the violin. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So there is there is more character. Yeah, than, they're not completely character. They're not completely disposable. They, they but do... the main characters are completely disposable, and that's kind of the point. Yeah, which so, is actually kind of ironic when you think about right. it. Right. Yeah. So he, uh, he quickly gains the respect of his peers and is promoted to the rank of corporal after taking out a tanker bug by, like, he shoots in the tanker bug and then creates a hole and then puts a grenade in there and then blows up. Yeah, Check yeah. Out, the special effects in this movie are great. Oh, yeah. Like, the, bug, the bugs themselves are very impressive. Like, like for 90 CGI, this all holds up very well. Yeah. Except for some of the green screen bits when they're in the ship. Yeah, the, gr- it, the green screen bits are, they look kind of like Babylon 5. As in <laughs> bad, but like the but like the bug creatures and like the you know the actual action scenes, those look really good. And some of the ships weren't actually CGI; some of the ships were miniatures. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. So then his relationship with Dizzy continues to grow, and they have sex during the night, which we talked about yes, at Tango on Tango Orilla. Make it twenty and then minutes. The rest- <laughs> The Roughnecks respond to a distress call from Planet P, where they reconnoiter at an outpost which has been devastated by the bugs, and there's, like, all these people that are just dead, and the gore yes. is, like, really intense in this movie. Absolutely. I really dig it. Yeah. I love the, how hardcore this movie is. So then yes. they soon realize that, that the distress call was a trap, and the arachnoids swarm the outpost, and there's this great, like, base defense scene where there's all these arachnids all coming at them at once, and they have, like, a turret gun and everything, yeah. and they have to keep following back. At one, at one point, scene. there's just a giant bug. Like, Yeah, yeah, and there's, like, these ones that, like, come out from the sky, and uh, they, like, flying. And Rico, now an acting sergeant, because, you know, another one of his guys got killed. Yeah, he, he keeps a mortally getting wounded promoted Racksack. throughout the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, because so, remember, Racksack earlier was like, if, if if I'm ever dying, shoot me. And if I'm ever... So Razzak is dying, and he's just like, kill me. Do it right now. <laughs> like, so, okay. So then uh, Rico, of course, kills him because he is the heroic fascist straight man of this movie. And after a buried tanker bug bites off his legs, uh, after they bite off Raksak's leg. That's why he was killed, uh, mercy killed. I'd like to point out also there's been some debate over whether or not, like, people complain that Rico has been whitewashed. Really? Because in the original novel, he was Filipino. Oh, Um, and I, I, I can definitely see that, but at the same time, I feel like... I mean, even in, in the movie, movie taking... he's supposed to be from Buenos Aires, and he's a very... Right. He's ve- he's very white for being from exactly. Buenos Aires. I feel like in the context of this movie, that it's satirizing fascism. Yeah. The, the changing the race makes a bit of sense, I think. Yeah, and if, have, and if you like... tried to... And it, I feel like if you did make him Filipino, mm-hmm. that would raise a lot of other questions regarding you it's know, like the... yeah it's great we have this great filipino 
uh, fascist. representation of a fascist. Of a fascist, yeah. I feel I like that just that. creates more questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Rico. So um, then, what happens is they uh, they all getting swarmed, and Dizzy is killed. And it's like this emotional scene where she's like, she's like, "Hold me, hold me," and he's like, "Oh no." And it's it's interesting because Dizzy feels like a real character in this movie. And that's why she dies, because only the least likable characters survived this movie. (laughs) Uh, Press up to pay respects. (laughs) Yes, press up to pay respects. But the surviving Roughnecks are rescued by Carmen and Xandar. And they're renamed to to Rico's Roughnecks. (laughs) Exactly, Rico's Roughnecks. So Rico and Carmen encounter Carl, now a high-ranking intelligence officer. He comes in with this shoot Shafa, like officer get up like he looks like a nazi yes he does if you ever and, wanted and to th- see neil patrick harris dressed like a nazi exactly yeah. um and, and, and they have this hilarious conversation where he's like you know i mean hey sacrifices have to be We're made in this for the species boys and girls <laughs> and then since johnny rico of course is a budding fascist he's like you know that makes sense that makes sense to me <laughs> You know, where, like, a normal movie would, like, cast that character as the villain, this is just, like, another aspect of how fucked up the society is, yes. that that's just like, all right, sure. Okay, this is fine. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Carl reveals that he, that there's a reason to believe that an intelligent brain bug is directing the other bugs and has been learning how to fight humans. By the way, the bugs, when they kill people they discover, I've started sucking out their brains, like... <laughs> Like that, like they they, it's yeah. very delicious. They get the brain juice. It's very tasty. Um, so he field promotes Rico to lieutenant. Yes, <laughs> and gives him command of the roughnecks, ordering the mobile infantry units under his control to return to P in an attempt to capture the brain bug. Um, yeah. Now the fleet encounters unexpected heavy fire from the bugs, and Carmen's ship is destroyed and it gets cut in half in this amazing special effect. Um, and then Carmen and Xander's escape pod crashes into a bug tunnel system near rico uh, by the way there, i forgot to mention there's another scene where like somebody gets crushed by like this this door yes <laughs> and she's just like keep going don't worry about me <laughs> <laughs> so they are surrounded by bugs and a brain bug uses its proboscis to pierce xander's skull and eat his brain because he's like fuck you <laughs> but what they don't know is that the knife remember the knife that was uh introduced earlier you yeah know, like, you should always have a knife on you yeah uh Carmen has a knife, and she cuts off the alien brain bug's uh, proboscis. Um, now, Rico, Watkins, and Ace arrive and threaten the bugs with a small nuclear bomb. Yeah. Also, they kind have... Of, kind of begs the question why they... I guess the reason why they don't nuke the entire planet is because they're trying to colonize Well, it, they right? have a bunch of... Well, they, they just regularly fire nukes all, all yeah. the time in this movie. It's like they, it's like their standard And, and nobody is afraid of radiation. Like, that never comes up. Yeah, Which or, it, or the idea that, like, maybe they should have radiation suits on so that, you know, they don't <laughs> become horrible I feel like that's part of the propaganda aspect. If you consider this film as, like, an in-universe propaganda film, they'd be like, yeah, they use nukes, but we're not going to talk about what that means. We're just going to gloss over that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so Reek and Watkins and Ace arrive and threaten the bugs with a small nuke which the brain bug recognizes. Now they flee while the brain bug makes his escape, and uh, because they basically, uh, they, he decides, Johnny Rico, to go in and save Carmen, because he's gotten this click in his mind, Carmen's still alive, even though he, he thought he was dead earlier. Later it's revealed right, that the reason yeah. why he thought Carmen was still alive was because the psychic uh, friend of theirs 
basically told him uh, psychically, Carl, the psychic, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then what happens is they flee while the brain bug makes his escape, and the Arachnids pursue them, and Watkins, mortally wounded, sacrifices himself by detonating a bomb. You're to trying enable... to be a hero, Watkins? <laughs> <laughs> to, to detonate the bomb to enable the escape of the others. And he's like, I just need to kill some bugs. That's what we're here for. Uh, and after returning to the surface, they find that a former Sergeant Zim, who's been, who has requested a demotion to private so that he could serve at the front, has yeah. captured the brain bug. So Carl tells Rico and Carmen that the humans will soon be victorious now that the military intelligence can study the brain bug. And there's this incredibly sad scene. This scene makes me so depressed. Yeah. Where they bring out the brain bug. Yeah. And the brain bug is like in pain and is like so sad. And then the psychic Carl is like, he's afraid. And then everyone starts cheering. Yeah. Because they're like, he is afraid. Yeah, Yay, we did it. We did it. We 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 ruined this species forever. <laughs> We're the worst. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and it's such it's such a satirical moment. It's so sad. Yes, because they've all become like unthinking, hateful, warmongering automatons, and yeah. the film perceives it as good. Yeah. So a propaganda clip then shows Carmen, Ace, and Rico as model servicemen, and they have like their own little uh, commander ships. And 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 Rico's like, "Come on, an only good bug is a dead bug. Come yeah, on, guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. do you want to live forever?" Which is what one of his guys told him earlier in the film, if you remember. Yes. Um. So he has become a copy of his former uh, officer yeah. who died. He's become a pawn in the system. Yeah. Because remember, and, service guarantees citizenship. Yeah, and they're like. <laughs> We need more troops. We have the science, but we need you. <laughs> and that's how the movie ends. Yeah. And, man, I, I really like Starship. It's troopers. a really good movie. I, yeah. I think this movie is great. Even if I think the middle section doesn't work as much as the beginning and the ending, I still think yeah. it is a great sci-fi action film. And definitely, uh, I think the sat satirism really works. I think that the commentary on war and politics is really funny. Um, yeah. And also, the movie makes me really sad at the end <laughs> yeah, with, the, with the brain bug bit. So, Chris, what did you think of Starship? Yeah, Trooper? I also thought it was a really good movie. I agree with most of what uh, you just said. Uh, I think the commentary and the satire are all fantastic. The effects are great. You know, the, the actors are all really good in it, you know, being purposefully yeah wooden and bad um <laughs> uh if i have an issue I, again it's kind of the middle section and just certain parts of the movie just feel played a little too straight to the point where after especially not understanding the idea of uh this is in universe propaganda by the end it was like okay what exactly was the point like was i supposed well, I mean, to get ag something again out of you know it's, it's about bad? like well, the the main point of the film, Paul Verhoeven has said, is that uh, war makes fascists of us all, is what he said in the oh, movie. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's about, I think it's really, it shows, um, it, it works on two levels. One, it works at showing how a person can become basically uh, brainwashed into believing what the system tells you and and into becoming like an unthinking killer right but on another level it also satirizes the way fascist dictatorships view themselves right. like 
it has a kind of producer's energy, I think, of, um, mm. you know, like, springtime for Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, actually. I, I guess the difference is, because uh, in something like Jojo, because Jojo Rabbit, which I love, Jojo Rabbit's a fantastic movie. If you haven't I seen love Jojo Rabbit, too. watch Jojo Rabbit. Um, but mm-hmm. the thing about Jojo Rabbit that worked, I think what, what worked about Jojo Rabbit was that, yeah, obviously it was a lot about how the Nazis see themselves as the good guys and how they're right. But it was grounded in a very human story of this kid. and You mean about how they're wrong. And, and how they're wrong. You <laughs> and just the said the Nazis r- were right, Chris. I didn't know you were such a Nazi. No, 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 no. <laughs> no I'm not a Nazi. <laughs> to be clear, okay. Nazis are bad. But the Nazis yes. think they were good, and the point of Jojo Rabbit is that the kid, le- the kid Jojo, learns, learns the of the that movie, the Nazis are bad. That the Nazis are bad, and he was wrong. Mm-hmm. And there isn't really, and I get why there isn't in the context of the film, and the context right. of this film, but they don't really have that kind of more grounded human story in this yeah but a, i also feel like that kind of lends it a different feel it feels the movie feels very claustrophobic actually huh like it feels like kind of like crushing like it almost in depressing sense. in a way it's, it's, like, i you, think it's kind of one of those things that. where I I, I I i believe both of us this is our first time watching this movie yes i feel like maybe this is something that requires multiple viewings to fully like get like maybe i'm not sure i feel like it's definitely a movie that would grow on me if i watched it a second time i i i would agree i think especially now that i full under fully understand the framing device yeah yeah so i feel like that those are our opinions on, on starship troopers so we'll go on to our next movie battle royale, battle royale a highly influential film directed yes. by kinji fuku fu, fu, fukasaku, fukasaku. Mm-hmm. um and basically, it inspired the entire video game genre of the Battle Royale. Yeah, it, it is inspired, yeah, the entire Battle Royale video game genre. So the, all you Fortnite kids uh, who you are... You got Battle Royale to watch, you, you have, know. You have Battle Royale. So, yeah, it's it's inspired numerous, uh, you know, new films and te- television shows. It basically... Hunger Battle Games, Royale, obviously. Comics, visual novels. Um, yeah, it was originally, it was a novel at first. Yeah, it was a, a novel written by Kushin Takami. Uh, it was called, you know, Battle Royale, which yeah. is, you know, Battle Royale in Japanese. I probably butchered that. But um, Kenji Fukusaku is a very interesting director, and I feel like I-, I know a bit about this. And I'm sorry, I'm going to nerd out for a second. But um, this was Kenji Fukusaku's final film. Oh, my. Um, he is highly, highly influential. He inspired Quentin Tarantino, William Friedkin, who, of course, directed The Exorcist. Uh, Friedkin actually said that his movie The French Connection was highly indebted to his Battles Without Honor and Humanity series, which I am a huge fan of. So Battles yes. Without Honor and Humanity is a Yakuza series of movies that Kenji Fukasaku directed. So uh, if, and you they like were... those, if you like those Yakuza games, maybe watch these yes. movies. Yeah. <laughs> and he was highly influential in, in what was um, a new style of Yakuza film in the 1970s, where he really cut his teeth. Basically, the style was was that it would show Yakuza as it was more realistically day-to-day in Japanese society okay, well, than what I... was previously shown in the Honor movies, oh. which were basically like, uh, you know, Yakuza with Honor, you know, like kind of like the criminal with the heart of gold type stuff, right, you right. know. Uh, and, and, he, and when I say cut his teeth, I mean, he made like three to four movies a year in the 1970s. Oh my. The dude made a lot of movies. And it's interesting because Kenji Fukasaku is mostly known for his final film, Battle Royale. Battle Royale. I mean, which can you... I feel like is kind of his late stage masterpiece. And I honestly. mean, can you blame them considering 
how much this influenced. Like, yeah, it's a hugely influential movie, especially after the Anchor Bay Blu-ray release. Um, but also, Kinchi Fukusaku, he not only did um, Yakuza movies, he did sci-fi films. Yes, he did. Like uh, The Green Slime and my favorite, Message from Space, which was a Star Wars ripoff from 1978 starring Vic Morrow. You showed me the Morrow. first like, five to ten minutes of Message from Space, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. But I am intrigued. The movie like, is bonkers. <laughs> I, I can love tell. It. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Fukusaku is an underrated talent. Uh, definitely needs to be known at the same level as Takashi Miike, or uh, you know uh, Mobayashi or Kurosawa, in my opinion. That level of Japanese filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, he was a darling at the Japanese Academy Awards. But anyways, we should probably get into the movie. Yeah, which of course is um, in Japanese. Which, yes, it's a Japanese film. It's a Japanese and film. I did watch the English dub because I'm... Yeah. Honestly, I think the English dub kind of sucks. I mean, I kind of love it, but... <laughs> I mean, on one hand, the English dub, it has... It kind of has, like, an anime voice cast yeah. feel to it. And, like, on one hand, that kind of gets around some of the political satire of the film. Because, you know, the movie is very much about, and we'll get to this a bit later, um, young versus old people and the struggle, the generational struggle, and particularly, yeah. I think, criticism of the ruling conservative party And I party feel like that still comes off very, very well. Like, right. as someone who, and like... I only watch this for the first time with the fucking dub. Um, right, and I, I feel like the dub can be at times more satirical because it, it has, in my opinion, worse dialogue <laughs> acting. Um, but at the same time, I feel like it kind of takes away from some of the dramatic scenes. But I watched this on Pluto TV, so I watched the dub also in the special edition, by the way. Yeah, and um, but I'm and I hate to bring this bring anime at, or anime esque discourse into this. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. but I prefer to watch my movies rather than read them. I'm I sorry. disagree. Subs for life. I watch all my movies with subtitles. Dubs, dubs, no. for, dubs for life. So the plot starts so the plot this little blurb. At, at the dawn of the millennium, the nation collapsed at 15% unemployment. <laughs> you know, in COVID times, that's not that high. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, 10 yeah. million were out of work. 800,000 students what, what boycotted school. What unemployment are we at now, actually? Because I don't know. It's less than at the height of COVID, but I'm not sure. Okay, um, good. The adults lost confidence and fearing the youth eventually passed the Millennium Education Reform Act, a.k.a. the BR Act, the which BR is basically... Act. They choose problematic schools at random and, and then force to the death <laughs> until one person remains. Um, now, there's a very yeah. interesting story behind this because, of course, the novel came from a very different place. When Kinji Fukusaku approached the work, he wrote, he said that his main inspiration was during World War II. He was young and was working in the munitions factory. Um, and the munitions factory got bombed and he had to like basically carry away the other young dead people and wounded people. And that was the day he learned that the one World War Two, the Japanese government was lying to him. Yeah, is what he says. And that two adults suck. Yeah, you can't trust them. Um, and that that's kind of it has this very political angry energy, I think. Yeah. But at the same time, it's very operatic and emotional, you know, yes. Like, the score, the musical score in this it's movie... It's fucking epic! It's <laughs> so good! <laughs> yes! Um, 
and honestly, like, there's scenes in this movie that just gives me goosebumps. But we'll get into the plot right now. So the film yeah. centers around Shuya Nanahara, a charismatic young boy. And after his mother abandons him, there's this really great just blunt scene where he walks in and his father has killed himself. Yeah, his, fa- yeah, and, his father has hung himself. And it's like... With, with like, a, a cord. And he says, you go, Shuya, Shuya, you can do it. It's like, oh, oh, shit. Holy shit, that took a turn right. fast. <laughs> so he becomes disillusioned with life, and uh, the rest of the classmates are similarly disillusioned. And before this happens, uh, the gym teacher gets stabbed by one of the uh, one of Oh my the god, that fucking scene. <laughs> yeah, he gets stabbed in the ass with like uh, this little butterfly knife. Because it comes and... And it's, and because it comes out of fucking nowhere. Because the kid yeah. shows up at the because the, the girl shows up in class and is just like, oh, where is everybody? It's like, oh. And, it took the, and then suddenly she just takes out the knife and fucking stabs the guy well she doesn't do it uh the the, the boy does the boy who does. is yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. the stepbrother because he was foster brothers shuya was foster brothers with this kid and he gets killed in the very beginning of the movie nobu is his name right yeah, uh yeah. Now, what happens next is Shuya's best friend, Nobu, attacks the teacher, but runs away before he can be identified. Yeah, now, yeah. Noriko is kind of the main female antagonist, female protagonist of the movie, and she's like sweet, young, reserved girl who happens to witness the incident and hides the knife that Nobu has just attacked Katano with. Now, Katano, frustrated, resigns. Now, Katano's a really interesting character, I think, because, like, he's very bizarre. Like, he's constantly... Um, like, obviously, he's the one that's super into the idea of all of the students killing each other, right? Yes. And he has a grudge because of this one incident. But later on, it's revealed that he, like, his family life is terrible. And that, like, his wife hates him. Yes. <laughs> and that he always wanted a daughter. And it's like, oh, this movie gives, like, even the worst characters besides Kiriyama and a, a, uh, a sympathetic backstory, which I find so fun, in my opinion. Yes. So the rest of the classmates are similarly disillusioned and have little respect for authority, by the way. That's another important point. So the next year, as the students are nearing the end of their compulsory education, they embark on a class trip. And Nobu hasn't been to class that often, which is revealed in a a flashback, which I think is really cute. Because it's it's revealed that Nobu is an otaku. Oh, uh, he, yeah. like, he has, like, stacks of manga, yes. um, which I think is fun. Yeah. Um, and they both talk about their how they have a crush on the same girl. Um, now, what happens is the entire class is gassed and kidnapped and taken to an isolated, abandoned island. And they wake up in this classroom, and there's two transfer students there. Um, and I really love uh, both of these characters. I mean, they're so different, obviously. Um, hold on one second. Like, one, you know, uh, is, of course, Kawada. Kawada. And Kawada's, he, he starts off, you think he's going to be like Kuriyama, like, who is just a blood sociopath that literally signed up and volunteered, like, voluntarily for this. Yes. Um, but he turns out to be, like, have, like, this really interesting backstory where he had this girl that he was named Kiko, yeah. who he was in love with, and he was in one of the previous games, and he Kiko shot him, and then she, he shot her at the end. And then when she was dying, he smiled, and he's been spending all his life trying to figure out Kiko's smile, and it's like, God damn! That's some goosebump shit right there. Yeah. You know? So good. So fucking good. So but anyway, once there, students are shocked to find out they are inside an abandoned school, and that Katano, along with the government, is behind the entire operation. Now, Katano yes. informs them that due to their juvenile delinquency, they have been selected as participants in the Battle in the, Royale. In Battle Royale. 
where a I... an, an incredibly uh, peppy nar narrator woman <laughs> in, a, in, a, in the video informs that that they almost fight to the death, and that they um they they are all going to be given uh, their own survival packs with their own weapons. They also have right. these collars on that they some can't weapons take... are better than others, so you might get lucky. You might get lucky. <laughs> And also, and the collars will like explode. The collars like, you know, will explode if they if they like disobey. <laughs> right, and that's obviously uh, inspired uh, Suicide Squad. Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think Suicide, I think the ship in their neck thing for the Suicide Squad came before. Anyways, this, this movie, but it's um, it's inspired a lot of things. Yes, yeah. Katano informs them that uh, you know he's like, yo, you don't have to follow all these rules and shit. And uh, basically, they all have to fight to the death. And after three days, if a winner is not declared, everyone dies. Everyone dies. And there's different zones on the island that are danger zones. Honestly, and if you're when, caught... they, when they started talking about the danger zones, I was like, wow. The danger zone. When they, yeah, the danger zone. Yeah. But when yeah, they started if you're talking caught... about like, the way the island's mapped out and the danger zones, my immediate thought was, wow. Hunger Games really did just rip this off, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the danger zones, if you're caught in the danger zones, your your collar will explode. Yes. Um, and this is shown to be true with Nobu when Nobu fights back and his collar explodes and it goes, Psh, and there's this great and, like, terrifying uh, blood hose. It's like out of a samurai movie. It's so yes. good. Um, it's it's really dowie. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, it, it's Kinji Fukasaku at his best, in my opinion, late stage career. Um, and this is after another one of the girls got, uh, basically, she tried to fight back also, and she got a knife in her head. So that's two students out right now. Yeah. And I love whenever a student dies, they have a little text that shows you, like, what their name was and how many are left. Yes. Um, now, this is very similar to Kiji Fukusaku's other work in the Battles Without Honor and Humanity series, where he would have quick texts tell you who all the different people are and to who they're loyal to. So this is uh, emblematic of his previous work, which is very fun. Uh, yeah. You can't tell. I really like this director. Okay. Um, to prove he means business, uh, you know, Katano detonates Nobu's collar, killing him, which then, you know, of course, sets off Shuya, and Shuya has to be restrained by the other students to not kill you know, fucking Katano right then. Yeah. Uh, one by one, each student is led away from the school. And by the way, I love all these scenes because each of them get a character moment. Yes. When, when they're leaving and they get their bag. And there's like two students that are like, we'll still be friends, you know? And uh, sometimes the movie will even cut back to these scenes to remind you who they were. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a movie that like, it's incredible how they, it, it it expects you to care about each and every one of the characters. It gives you a reason to. Yeah. And I think that's really, really cool. I really like that. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Even though there are main characters, it's not like a complete ensemble. Yeah, but it is, it's mostly an ensemble though. Like. Yeah, yeah. Like there's definite, like I'm rooting for multiple groups of people at different times. Yeah, I think this is, and this is something I prefer over, and I prefer this direction over like the way that, that way that Hunger Games did it. Where basically there's like one central main character. There, there were there were central main characters. There was Katniss and and uh, Peta? Peta, Peta, whatever the fuck his name was, right? And then there's Peta, the other guy, whatever. And, and there's the other characters who I don't remember, and also Rue, who you care about right. for exactly one chapter, and then she dies, and you're sad about it, and then it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, so Chris, yeah. I gotta ask you, who's your favorite battle royale side character? Oh my god, that's actually really hard. But I, I know. I think I'm gonna have to go with Chigusa. 
Chigusa? Yeah, Chigusa. Because I, I ended up, re in the in her short amount of screen time, I ended up really liking her, and I was really sad. When, when, when she, she died in the, in the poison shootout. When scene. she died in the poison. Hashtag <laughs> Chigusa did nothing wrong. Chigusa did nothing wrong. I mean, most of these people did nothing exactly. wrong. Exactly. <laughs> My favorite's actually, hot take, Mitsuko. Oh, I, I Mitsuko's great too. Like, the... <laughs> like you, you start off, because Mitsuko is like the bad bitch of, of, she's, of the group. She's like, the she's joker like, of Battle Royale. <laughs> right? She's like, you know, she's like the preppy girl that like looked down on all the other girls. She's like mean. Yeah. You know? And, uh, but the, the thing is, she gets, like, a sympathetic backstory where she was, like, abused by her father and end up killing him. And she's oh, like, I'll yeah. never let any man abuse me ever again. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah, Mitsuko, Mitsuko like, is great, too. It's just that yes. for a lot of the movie, she's kind of a, she's a bitch. Like, she's like, she's like, I love murder. I love, I fucking do it again. I uh, Kiriyama, even though he gets no backstory, <laughs> he's like, he's got, like, this frizzy hair. Yeah. He looks like he walked straight out of a Death Note adaptation. Wait, 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 wait I'm sorry, I missed the name. Which one? Which one? Are we Kiriyama, Kiriyama, the one no, that's I've the transfer student. Kiriyama, he has the same hair, the, the, the same hair as Kirishima from My Hero Academia. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Um, no, Kiriyama is crazy because yeah. he is a sadist that voluntarily... He signed up uh, for this because he wants to murder the other children. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um... And I love all the all the moments where they they get their bags and stuff like that, and they're led away. Yeah, they have. Their, and they have their uh, the game begins, and Shuya ends up with uh, he ends up with a tin a, a tin plate. A tin plate. <laughs> which which actually comes in handy later. Um, yeah, no, so, it's a not not a tin plate. It's a pot lid. It's a pot yeah, it's lid. a pot lid. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it, this is super uneven, by the way, like because some people get like machine guns and shit. This is incredibly you know? unfair. To, like to, mm -hmm. to like to give credit to Hunger Games, everybody got an actual weapon. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you can consider it like a loot box, you know. It's a loot box. <laughs> oh, so, so some students to, refuse so to, to play the game. Four ninety nine to get the good stuff. I I see how it is. <laughs> yeah, I really like how like a lot of the students just say nope and just like kill themselves like immediately. <laughs> oh yeah, that is. Yeah, that's true. Like. Two of them, two of them, they're like boyfriend, girlfriend. They're like, I'm not do, I'm not playing this game, and they just jump off a cliff. Yeah, they just, like, they're just like, nope, 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 nope. And then there's a gang of five that start, uh, like, bullying Kiriyama, but because they're new to the game, they're like, they don't know that like this guy will fucking murder them. <laughs> they're not in the murder phase of the game yet. Yeah. They're not accustomed to that. So there's, then a, a lot he, of them are still trying to figure out. Wait, is there a way out of this? Like, right? Yeah. And and he just like gets a machine gun and guns down five of them immediately. <laughs> yes, he does. And Kiriyama is like terrified. <laughs> Honestly, don't fuck um, with Kiriyama. <laughs> exactly. So Shuya is grieving over Nobu's death and decides to take it upon himself to protect Noriko because you know they both had a crush on Noriko. Yes. Um, then the, their pair eventually team up with Kawada, a seasoned warrior with an agenda. He real he reveals that he is out to avenge the death of his girlfriend. He's like you know trying to find the the answer to why she smiled at when she died. And elsewhere, a class president Yuki gathers up a group of girls and decides to hide in an abandoned lighthouse. Yeah. Um, by the way, my favorite my favorite group though is the hackers. Oh, the hackers. <laughs> The hackers, because a group of, like, three guys all get together, and they start trying to hack into the mainframe of the government system. Yes. And it's, like, complete late 90s hacking. Like, it's completely unrealistic. Yeah, and it's, like, even super fast typing. Yeah. 
And by the way, they keep cutting back to this basketball game. Yeah, the basketball. The basketball yeah, the game? basketball flashback. And you start to think, well, what's this basketball game all about? And you know, but it's kind of a symbol of how innocent they used to be. I think. Yeah. And and you'll notice when he's hacking, one of the logos is a basketball player. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think my so, I think my <laughs> favorite. I love the hackers, but I think the probably the group I feel the most bad for is because it's. Yukiko and I forget who the other girl is. Right. And they want to try to make like a peaceful alliance. Like, oh, right. And they immediately get murdered. Yeah, they immediately right. get murdered. I feel so bad for Yukiko. Like, yeah, Yukiko was like, Yukiko's like, I always had a crush on Yushuya. And he's like, what? <laughs> and she, she's just trying to, to like help them and make sure everybody lives and like try to find a way off like peaceful resolution. And, <laughs> and, no, and, nobody's, and nobody's going for it. It's like <laughs> one of my favorite moments of the entire movie is when um, I, Anita approaches a girl. Nita is one of the other side characters. Yeah. And he has a crossbow and he's like, hey, we should like have sex. And because you're. Oh, yeah. Do, do you want to do. Don't you want to do. You it should know what it's like before. Before it's over. He's like, I could have just forced myself on you. And this guy's like a total douche. Yeah. And she's just like, I will kill you. I will kill you, dude. <laughs> I will kill you. <laughs> and he doesn't take it seriously. So then. They get into a fight, and he gets fucking... She gets on top of him, and she stabs him in the dick, like, four times. And it's, like, it's a Poggers moment. It's Poggers. Like, it's totally Poggers. Totally it's, like, poggers, dude. he totally fucking deserves that. Yeah. I also, I, I also like how intermittently throughout the movie, uh, Kitano makes announcements to everyone over the intercom, and he's so fucking blunt about everything. Like, All right, like, here are the guys. Yeah, here's the list of all your dead friends. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you got to mention um, when they were on the class trip, they were given some cookies. Yeah, the cookies, cookies, yes! And throughout the movie, Katano eats the cookies! <laughs> yes, yeah, the cookies! The whole the time! Is, in fact, it's it's the last thing he does before he dies, is eat one of the cookies. <laughs> Oh my god. They should it's make so good. those cookies for real and sell them. That would be, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and there's this great scene where um, basically uh, Shuya gets like um, separated from Noriko, Noriko because he's basically he got like chased by Kuriyama, you know, I love murder dude. Yeah, I love um, murder. And he ended up jumping in, getting shot at, like once or twice and then jumping in the ocean where he was fished out. By, uh, I think it was the girl you like. What's her name? Uh, Chikusa. 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 Yeah. yeah. And Chikusa brings them to the lighthouse. And now, previously, um, Shuya had killed one of the girls at the lighthouse's brother by accident with an axe when he was trying to kill him. And he, she's super bitter about it. So Yuko, the girl, she devises a plan to use her weapon poison on Shuya. Only problem is is that one of the other girls eats the pasta. Yes. And, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then she finds out, and then, of course, that, that tips then, everyone and off. She, right, and the instant noodles, and, and she the one girl gets poisoned and dies, and this snowballs into an all-out gun battle between the girls because nobody knows who poisoned them. Yes. Well, meanwhile, Yuko is just hiding under a table, and the girl, one of the girls is, like, dying, and she's like, it wasn't you, Yuko, right? You're not a murderer. And she's like, no. no? <laughs> and I'm like... Wow, way to be a liar, Yuko. <laughs> so that was a fucking lie. <laughs> so that was a fucking lie. Now, Yuko, now upset that she basically led to the death of four of her friends by accident, yeah. uh, then promptly jumps off the top of the lighthouse to her death. 
<laughs> Rip. <laughs> Rest in peace. Um, <laughs> so, while junior revolutionary Shinji gathers up his friends and plans to blow up the school along with Katano, uh, thereby liberating the students, they get, like, you know, fertilizer. These are the hacker guys. Yeah, the hacker guys, um, yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, still, other students accept their fate, and while some commit suicide, a student named Sugimura decides to make the best of his final hours and seeks out his best friend and the girl he loves. Now, Shinji hacks into the central control system and cripples the monitoring network of the army, and they're like, what the fuck? I love how this movie, it takes such a good premise, and then it does everything possible It does possible everything with possible with the premise, yeah. Like, wouldn't some of these kids, like, try and hack into the system? Yeah, let's write that in. Yeah. What well, if, like, like, well, like all this teen they, drama like, got worked out over the course of this horrible dystopian fiction? Yeah. It's like, sure. Like, like the alliances would be, like, like what kind of alliances would be formed? Like, right. Like, uh, the how... different approaches people would take. Yeah, like, and this it, is... it's, it's so, it's so satisfying. Again, like, this is, this is if Hunger Games actually followed through on its premise, and it's great. Right. Like, <laughs> yes. I'd also like to point out that, um, it, this movie is really great on rewatch because we get like a list of all the characters and then like cross them off one by one. Yeah. It's very satisfying. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, basically what happens then uh, is they hack into the system and he and his friends rebuild an abandoned truck and prepare to drive to the army headquarters to blow it up. But we're ambushed yeah. by Kiriyama and we're all killed and the bomb filled with the truck detonates. And there's this great scene where Shuya approaches and, you know, like... The dude just got blown up, Kiriyama. Yeah. And Kiriyama just, like, walks out of the explosion. Like, nothing fucking cool happened. Cool guys don't look at explosions. And he's blind now. And he's so blind now. So, when Kawada decides to try and shoot, um, tries to shoot Kiriyama, he, he still tries to kill him, and he still get, shoots Kawada, even though he's fucking blind. Yes. <laughs> Until finally, Kiriyama, the murder machine, is finally murdered. Good. <laughs> Good. And it's such a satisfying moment. Yes. So Kawada reveals that he knows how to disarm the collars and fake Shuya and Noriko's deaths. And I really love how they do this because it makes it look like, um, because the collars are listening to everything you say. So yes. what Kawada is doing here is he's playing for the microphone. Yeah, and, right. Because it, knows... it makes you think that Kawada is, is, is betraying them. Right, like, but you don't know that, so it makes you think that he's betraying them. But what yeah. happened was, was during the hacking, they disloc they disactivated the tracking devices on Nuriko and Shuya's necklaces. Yes. And that's how they were able to fake their deaths. So then declared the winner, Kawada treks to the school, and Katano doesn't really believe that they're all dead, so he goes there and declares the operation a success and is the only one there. And Kawada confronts Katano and is soon joined by Shuya and Noriko. And I love yeah. the scene where Katana was like, look, all right, you can shoot me now or I'm going to shoot you. And then they just immediately shoot yeah, him. Yeah, just, just shoot me, shoot me or I'll shoot you. And then they shoot him. Right. <laughs> so then Katana reveals that he has like this unhealthy obsession with Noriko. And he shows off like his little mural of all the different children getting murdered. Oh, yes. Because he, he had the grand plan he, was that he, Noriko he, would be like the he one drew, like to he survive. Drew a, he drew a mural. And I wrote in my notes, like, who, whoever drew this mural needs therapy. <laughs> yes. Uh, and begs for, basically, uh, he begs for her to kill him. And he's also extremely unhappy 
having been rejected by his family. Now, Noriko refuses, but when Kitano raises his gun, Shuya shoots Kitano. And dying from his wounds, Kitano engages in a final bitter conversation with his daughter over the phone. Yes! <laughs> and is like, what? Do you think I'm did, I'm not responsible? Well, fuck you! And he throws fuck the phone. <laughs> and then he dies, he's like, oh, these cookie is really good. It's really fucking good cookie. Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> and then he dies. And then he's and, dead. He's um, dead. The trio escapes the island on a boat, but Kawada succumbs to his wounds and dies. And then Shuya and Noriko... Yeah, R.I.P. Kawada. Yeah, Kawada's great, by the way. Yeah, I love Kawada. Uh, yeah. I love all these characters, but especially Kawada. He's so good. And he has, like, this great cigarette-smoking energy. Like, there's a great scene where he's, like, smoking and oh, drinking yeah, and that, where Shuya right, right, right. drink. It's where I wrote in my notes, smoking is bad for your health. Right. Don't smoke kids. Um, and, and he offers Shuya a drink, and he's like, no, I don't want a drink. And then he tells him his tragic backstory, and then she was like, yeah, I might have that drink, yeah, actually. Like, oh, <laughs> I've, oh, man, your backstory is so depressing. It drives me to drink. <laughs> <laughs> so Shuya and Noriko make it to land where they become fugitives wanted for murder, because apparently yeah, they, they are if you don't kill off the now. final person, you're now a murderer. Yeah. Which is crazy. Or maybe that, they're wanted for the murder of Katano. I feel like I think they, that might be it. I, I feel like it's more that... Are, are they wanted for just, like, not respecting the law, rules of Battle Royale? <laughs> I mean, probably that, but it specifically yeah. says they're wanted for murder. So oh, that means yeah, that's the, true. I so think they're probably, probably wanted for Kitano, the murder of Katano. Yeah. But yeah, they're like fugitives from the law, and they're like, so long as we run together, we'll be fine. Yeah, but we run. have no choice but to run. keep moving forward. Yeah. Run. And then it, it ends. And by the way, I'd like to point out that throughout this movie, there are certain moments where dialogue uh, that is important yeah. is written on the screen, like top to bottom in the Japanese style. Yes. Like when they cut away. And I think those scenes are just really cool. I like that. Yeah. Because uh, it's like, it, it, it's a way of telling the audience, you know, like, this is what, this is, this, Remember this is what you should be this. thinking about. <laughs> yes. Um, and in, in the special edition, I'm pretty sure you watched the theatrical. Yeah, I correct? watched the theatrical. Um, right. Is that the one that the ends on the flashback between Kitano and Noriko? Because that's the one I watched. Yeah. Um, no, actually. Oh. So that's the special edition. Oh, well, from then what I, I remember, guess, then I guess of, I did watch the special edition. This might be, I might be incorrect, but from what I remember of the theatrical edition, it ends when he screams, run. Oh, no, no, no. Because but... my, my version mm -hmm. ends with the flashback conversation between Kitano and Noriko. Yeah, because in the special edition director's cuts, there's four Requiem scenes. Um, and what they basically are... Oh, yeah, are yeah, I, I saw those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dream sequences, flashbacks, and they're all really good. Just, you know, they're, they're also kind of... They don't fit into the narrative pace of the film, so they're put at the end. Yeah, they're epilogues, yeah. They're epilogues, basically, to all the characters. And I, I just... God, I fucking love this movie, honestly. Yeah. Like, the first time I saw it, I was a teenager, very young. I didn't understand a lot of the political satire going on with, you know, about, you know, the Japanese government. It's honestly government kind of a and... satire of, like, the adults, adults and, <laughs> the, the and the education system. system. Like, yeah. it, I know it's it's very specifically the Japanese educational system, but there's, there's a lot mm -hmm. of criticisms here that you could make of the American educational system as well. <laughs> well, the Japanese educational system is a lot more intense also. It's also, yeah, it is a lot more intense. I, mm -hmm. I feel like the Amer I feel like an American version of this would be unrealistic because the American educational system is too lazy to put their, to put kids yeah. into a battle royale. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, w when I first got into this movie, I must have been like 14 or 15, and I was in this ultra-violent phase where I liked um, things like Saw and Ichi the Killer and the films of Takashi Miike. And I had heard about Battle Royale, particularly through its connection to the Hunger Games series, which I wasn't a huge fan of. Like, 
I thought they were okay. Yeah, they're fine. Um, and I watched yeah. I watched Battle Royale, and originally uh, when I started logging movies on Letterboxd and adding all the movies I watched, I remembered, oh yeah, I watched Battle Royale, and I gave it a 9 out of 10. But on rewatch, I really think, you know, and now that I have a wider context with Kenji Fukasaku's films also, this is really one of his best. And I think that ending his career on such a high note is not something most directors get to do. And yeah. it is really, really satisfying narratively the characters are fantastic the narrative and the satire was something that i didn't appreciate as much when i was younger but really everything about it works so well and it makes you so invested in what's going on the music the dialogue it all seeks to enhance the experience and goddamn it's a 10 out of 10 in my opinion Chris, what did you think of Battle Royale? I agree with everything you just said. I think this movie is fantastic. I agree that it is a 10 out of 10. And I, I think all the characters are great. The prem- it, fall- it takes this brilliant premise and it follows through on all of it. The, yeah. the action is incredible. There's Which, all by the way, is one of the reasons why a sequel moments. is unnecessary. Yeah, you don't really, like, I guess you could do one where it's just, like, a different class. But, like, that... Right. It's, it's redundant. I, from what I know, that's basically what Battle Royale 2 is, which is, by the way, directed by Kinji Fukusaku's son, Kenta Fukusaku, yeah. um, who uh, helped with the screenplay for the first film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel like Battle Royale needs to be a franchise, because I think yeah. the first one works so well. I, you know? I would agree. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think all these characters are great. You know, it, 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 gets you, it gets you to care about all these characters, even as they're being picked off one by one. Yeah. Um, and you know the satire. Like, I was works I was really shocked well. by how invested I was I, in the side characters. I felt so bad for Chigusa. Like yeah, Chigusa did nothing wrong. Chigusa neither did, did Yukiko. Wrong, and neither did Yuki. I felt so bad for Yukiko. And like and like if Mitsugo just went to and therapy. Even Mitsugo, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, like the only one you don't feel bad for is Nita, the asshole that wants to have sex, and Kuriyama. Yeah, really. And, and Nita and Nita gets fucking murdered by I think Chigusa. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, she and that, that's why I day. like Chigusa, because she murders Nina. <laughs> and it's yeah, so bad. <laughs> it's such a satisfying moment. I also like how the fact of, um, this is something I mentioned before, but uh, how, like, high school politics and, like, cliques are played out in this extreme circumstance. Yeah, it's like... like crushes are revealed. It's like, this is, like, the best way, like, and I, I, I know we keep bringing up Hunger Games because it's kind of hard it's not to. It's just so much better than it's Hunger Games. It's so much Games. better than Hunger Games, but, like, a lot of those uh, Hunger Games and those YA dystopias would try to do this thing, and it always came off as very shallow and forced, but this works. Like, this actually really works. Well. Like, yeah. Um, and, and oh God, it's just so good. So, yeah, Chris, what do you think of Battle Royale? It's, I, I, yeah, again, I agreed. It's fantastic. Like, it's hard, to, it's hard to even talk about my general thoughts without even going into other things about what I love right. about this movie. It's, it's a movie that just generates discussion. Yeah, it's, and it's a out. movie that I feel like I could get out, uh, get out even more of, like, on a rewatch, like, if I were to watch this again. Absolutely. It's, you know what it's kind of like? It's kind of like The Thing. You know, it's like it's it's got such a large cast that you could like rewatch and notice things you missed before. Exactly. I yeah. I, I, you know, I hadn't thought of that comparison, but yeah. you're right. It is it is mm-hmm. similar to the thing in that way, and that's another film that I think is fantastic and a, a ten out of ten. Um, yeah. For... So I think we can both agree, even though Starship Troopers is great, this that is, Battle this, Royale this is, is a better movie. movie. This is a better movie. <laughs> Yes, because yeah. we always have the we always have the discussion at the end of which movie is better. Yeah, and it's usually it, it's it's battle royale. It's battle it's, royale. It's, it's obviously battle royale. It's battle royale, in my opinion. Like, um, 
like I I love Starship, Starship Troopers. Troopers is really good. I, I I very much enjoy it, but it's battle royale. Like <laughs> it's battle royale. Yes. Um. So what we do at the end of every Rocket Ship Roulette episode is we roll the wheel, and that decides which movies we're gonna watch next. And basically, Chris gets the, the choice between two different movies, and if he doesn't like the first movie, he can veto it and then get a second movie. And then he gets to decide between that movie and the other movie. And we have to pick two movies overall for the next episode. Yes. Yes, we do. Which, by the way, will be in three weeks, I think. Yes, right? because the uh, the new system we are working with now um, for, for those... Because I know, I know we talked about how we were doing our new schedule a while back, and I did it on Twitter. But basically, to yeah, yeah. re-familiarize, we are now doing Rocket Ship Roulettes every three weeks. So we'll have two topic episodes and then a roulette then you know yes it goes two topics roulette two topics roulette it's gonna go like that until we switch up the schedule again i don't know which if we're will do probably that. not be for a very long time i yes we so plan Chris, to stick should with this I, for the foreseeable future yeah should i spin the roulette was that a yes should you spin should you spin the wheel yes yes let's spin the wheel yes all right that brings us to number 10 ega oh Hmm. Which is considered one of the worst movies of the 1960s. Do you want to respin? Let's respin, please. <laughs> yeah. All right. That brings us to number 32. Number 32 is Message from Space! <laughs> Kichi Fukasaku's Star Wars ripoff movie. Oh my god. What are the odds? Um... One in 100. 1% chance. Wow. Um... Well, actually, since we spin twice, it's uh, two in 100, so one in 50. Wow. Um, so I think I am going to have to go with Message from Space on that one. Yes. <laughs> message message from, space. from Space. All right. What's I the... absolutely adore Message from Space and I love talking about All it. All right. What's the, um, what's the, let's... what'll be the second movie? Let's spin the, let's spin it again to get a second movie. All right. Number 12, Manos, the Hands of Fate. Uh, do you want to respin? <laughs> yes, I do. I want to respin. So you don't have to watch one of the worst movies ever made. Without right. the MST3K commentary. Yeah. Mothra. Ooh, hello. Yeah. Mothra. So do you want to pick Mothra? I do want to pick Mothra. That should be a All lot right. of fun. So Japan is continuing. Japan is continuing. So in mm -hmm. three weeks, we will be talking about Message from Space. Message from Space. And... Which, by the way, has its own TV show, Galactic Wars. Oh, my God. Um... Yeah, which has musical numbers. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh my. Uh, and, Mothra, and Mothra, the first in the Mothra series. Yes. Uh, um, in the meantime... Uh, oh, wait. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm looking outside the spaceship window right now. Oh, my God. It's, it's, like, it's like purple goo all across space. What? It has a sign on it. Thank God. Otherwise, I wouldn't know what it was. It says Eldritch Wall. <gasps> what? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Starcock is here. Hello, I am Starcock. I am here to destroy the Eldritch Wall. Starcock is here in his platform boots. Oh my god. He's gonna he's he's pressing the button and the Eldritch Wall is down. What is going on? All of these phantoms are going in. Is that Earth? Oh my god. Oh my god. So basically, uh what I think is happening right now is all of the souls from hell are invading Earth and taking the forms of whatever animals they inhabit. So like I, I, there's a screen on right now, and there's zebras that are eating people. Oh, my. And, uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. A cat? There's The cats are invading Japan. Why am I not surprised? 
The cats are invading Japan, the cats, Chris. The cats are invading They're Japan. having no mercy. Oh, my. No mercy at all. Oh, dear. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is that... Oh, my God. Chris. What? Chris. What? Rabbits are knocking down the Eiffel Tower. <gasps> oh. Not the French. Not the French. <laughs> They're destroying all the baguettes. Anyways, if you want to find out what happens next time on the... Saga. <laughs> Saga. Uh, come back in three weeks. Yes. Uh, All right. So this has been yeah, Hipster well, no, 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 and I have the to Nerd. I have to tease next week, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because in the meantime, next week on our on our regular uh, topic episode. Uh, out of universe. Out of, out of universe. That the, only these have plot. Um, yes. But... Yeah, and even if they have, they they. I mean, okay, I'm out of character right now. They 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 have no plot really. It's just me making shit up. But <laughs> what are you talking about? It's totally it's it's totally a it's totally planned. Totally planned. Uh, <laughs> speaking of things that totally have plans, um, <laughs> next time we will be. Oh my God, Brian, can you believe it? We're a geek culture what? podcast that's going to talk about Star Wars. What? What? Are we talking about The Mandalorian? Yes! Yes, we are! That television show of which I am only moderately impressed the, by? The popular, the, the critically acclaimed, fan-favorite, Disney Plus, Star Wars live-action series. Well, that's certainly the, one way the, to say the it. The Mandalorian, <laughs> the first season. Season one. Uh, we're talking about The Mandalorian season one next week. I, All right, I, I that, hope that's going to be crazy. I hope you very much enjoy it. Anyways. Yeah, you're gonna be able to, to listen to me be like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's I'll be okay. like, man, this was really this is really cool. It was a whole you know breath of fresh air for Star Wars, and I really like all these characters and it's characters yeah, and it's okay. And it's like, eh, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. It's yeah. it's decent. I like Baby uh, anyways, Yoda. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a monster. Been... <laughs> yeah, Brian's not a monster. <laughs> anyways, uh, this has been Hipster and the Nerd. Uh, we do this every week. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much all your major podcast platforms. Uh, you please... can find us on MySpace. <laughs> we don't have and a... AIM. Well, we don't have a. Please instant message me on <laughs> AIM. <laughs> AIM is so lonely nowadays. AIM, all it all it has now is being uh, is, is being friends with Modok. Mm -hmm. That's a Marvel reference there. Uh, yeah. Anyway, because AIM is a evil organization that stands for Dance Idea. <laughs> but anyways, this is yeah. Please leave us a nice five star review. Uh, spread the word on social media. Share it with all your friends. Hashtag. And if you don't, you suck, and we hate you. Especially you, Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> now, I thought we were uh, hating on Todd. Oh yeah. No no no. Todd was last week. Todd's right. old news. So is this Jeff from Saw Three that lets everyone die? Fuck you, Angus sure. McFadden. <laughs> sure. You you were much better in Braveheart. <laughs> but any yeah, spread the word on social media, share it with all your friends. Hashtag hipster and the nerd. Help us grow the show. We very much appreciate it. I am Chris Hanna. You can find me at MegaNerd98 on Twitter and on Letterboxd. And you can find me uh, on my WordPress page, MegaNerd's Musings, home of Currently amphibia fanfiction, but eventually also other things that aren't fanfiction. Anyways, uh, and Brian, where can they find you? Oh my god. Starcock is drowning in the purple ooze. <gasps> oh my god. 
Help me. Oh, Starcock's dead. Rest in peace, Starcock, press, leader of the proto-humans. Press F to pay respects. Oh my god, who is this? <gasps> I am Starcock too. <gasps> new leader of the proto-humans. That's not a very original name. Anyway, um, so my name is Brian, and you can find me uh, sailing through space, um, looking after the five legumi nuts, or whatever the fuck is a message from space. <laughs> or you can find me fighting to the death with all of my other student friends. <laughs> or you can find me at the bug hunt nearby on planet Klendothi. <laughs> Uh, or you can find me on Twitter at Brian Brecker, or you can find me on Letterboxd at bbreck2, or you can find me in your mother's basement. That's right. You. Specifically you listening to this. Oh my god. Don't look down there. Please. Oh my god. I have nowhere else to go. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this has been Hipster yeah, and anyways, um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next time. a cause worth fighting for but in the future the greatest threat to our survival will not be man at all hey kid what's going on it's war we're going to war now the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. We are going in with first wave. You smash the entire area, you kill anything that has more than two legs, you get me? We get you, sir! But they will face an enemy more devastating than any ever imagined. Roughneck 2-0. Render attack, sir. We need retrieval now. Someone made a damn mistake. The bugs laid a trap for us, didn't they? Prepare for battle and journey to the front lines of the next frontier. Kill them all! Starship Troopers. ゲームです。この国はすっかりダメになってしまいました。そこで今日は皆さんにちょっと殺し合いをしてもらいます。バトルロワイヤル。やめ。やめやつだと思うかもしれないけど、他のみんなが怖いの。